This is the Historian's Podcast, and I'm Bob Cudmore. Not for the first time, nor the last, we welcome Peter Betts. How you doing, Peter? I'm just fine. Uh, it's very nice to talk to you today. You're looking well. Thank you. You, you look okay yourself. Peter Betts writes a column, I believe it's bi-weekly, every other week, on Fulton County history for the Leader Herald newspaper in Gloversville. And Peter was Fulton County historian for many years, a professor emeritus at Fulton Montgomery Community College. And we usually tell, uh, ask Peter to tell us a few stories that he's probably had a column or two about. And uh, they're always interesting, and this sounds like certainly something I've never heard of. We're going to start with the 1941 Fulton County Marbles champion. What happened to him? <laughs> well, his name was Tracy Van Slyke. Mm-hmm. When Tracy Van Slyke died unexpectedly at Johnstown Hospital in the early morning of April 1st, 1976, and let's face it, April Fool's Day is a bad day to die. Mm. He experiences he had experienced his moment of fame long before, only 48 at the time of his death. Probably few people remembered when, long before, in 1941, he'd briefly made headlines, not only in local papers, but in many others across the country, often on the sports page. Hmm. And you say to yourself, what, what, what was, he, was he an athlete? Uh-huh. And uh, I suppose we wouldn't think so today, but he was a competitor. And I suppose all competitors were in the sports page. No doubt. Anyhow, uh, what was his sport, you may ask? His sport was one that in those times every kid on your block, including yourself, played uh, simply shooting marbles. Hmm. Did you ever do that, Peter? Yes, I did. I shot several of them before they could get away. <laughs> no, yes, I, I did, and we, our kids in our neighborhood, did. We, we always, we always did it on the, on a nice flat uh, piece of sidewalk cement. That hopefully, you could find one that didn't have any holes in it or anything. Mm-hmm. You know, and we had our favorite on the street, so that's where we were always found shooting marbles. Okay. Now, I don't know if you you did it in your neighborhood or not. Well, I must have I had marbles. I must have done something with them. But I'm sort of scratching my brain. I, I don't quite remember how you do this or what you do when you shoot marbles. Or and what... I totally agree with you at this point. But there was a specific game involved mm-hmm. in which the object was to knock your opponent's marbles out of a certain uh, ring, I believe. Right. Something of that sort. Yes. Well, I do remember, I guess I'll bring it up, I'm halfway there, my uh, late wife, uh, Mary uh, Pritchard Cudmore, she she was a great marbles player. I don't think she ever was a champion. In fact, the story she told was she lost her marbles in, in some match down in Westport, Connecticut, where she was growing up, and I think retired from the field, but she still loved marbles, and she had this big jar of, uh, of marbles uh, that uh, we, we kept around for quite a number of years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, if you, if you knocked your opponent's marble out of the ring, it was supposed to be yours. Oh, that's so how that, you would lose your marbles. Yes, definitely. Right. <laughs> In one sense, at least. So what happened to Mr. Tracy Van Slyke? Right? Let me tell you. On the 
on the Morning Herald's uh, May 7th, 1941 sports page, mm -hmm. this brief notice appeared. Quote, Tracy Van Slyke has won the marble championship of the seventh grade at SD Junior High School. Grade champions will meet to determine the school title, and the winner will have his name engraved on a walnut plaque in the SD Library. <laughs> Winners in the seventh and eighth grades are eligible to attend the National Marble Tournament at Wildwood, New Jersey. Gloversville School System and the Kiwanis Club have been sponsoring a marbles tournament and sending someone uh, to Wildwood since 1933. Mm. Now, you may laugh, but in those old times, public school championship marble shooting sponsored by the New York State Marble Association okay. was a serious game to our young and grew out of the fact that every kid on the block back then owned marbles, traded marbles, played marbles, and knew the rules by heart. Mm. And the closest thing to an electronic game in those days was a pinball machine. Right. Most states had a marble, champ, uh, marble uh, game organization or association, and the country was divided into four districts, all of which sent their best players to this national shoot-off at Wildwood. Hmm. Nor was the game limited to boys, as several state champions were girls. Mm-hmm. And into this wild rumpus of marble com competition stepped seventh grade, fourteen-year-old Tracy Van Slyke. Hmm. Having won the Gloversville School System's Fulton County Championship, how did Tracy reach New Jersey, and with whom? That's true. How did he do it? The July third, nineteen forty-one Morning Herald gave Tracy a big headline: "Marble hmm. Champion Will Shoot in U.S. Title Play," and it informed readers. Mr. Edward Walder, Gloversville Chamber of Commerce manager, was chosen as escort by the Kiwanis, which fostered the city tournament. Expenses for Tracy's trip were jointly shared by the chamber and Kiwanis. Now, once at Wildwood, a balanced program of competition and uh, entertainments awaited Tracy and the 50 other competitors. The Herald explained... Play will be conducted every morning from 9.30 till noon, and the afternoons and nights will be given over to recreation, ocean trips, sightseeing jaunts, and other pleasurable activities for the sharpshooters. Hmm. Now, what could possibly go wrong here? I can't think of anything. Well, I'm about to tell you. All right. Ordinarily nothing if those pleasurable activities hadn't included a fateful swimming trip. Unfortunately, an afternoon's pleasant interlude at Wildwood's YMCA pool turned into a disaster for Tracy. The July 9th Leader Herald, uh, Leader Republican, related the sad tale headlined Van Slyke Forced by Injury to Quit Mar Marbles Play in 19th Annual Tournament. Oh, dear. And what happened was, and I quote, Tracy Van Slyke. Gloversville's marble champion voluntarily retired from the national tournament today due to a sprained thumb on his shooting hand, oh dear. which he suffered on Sunday while bathing with other contestants. The retirement of the Glove City champ was regretted by his opponents as well as his local supporters, but the youngster suffered so much pain from the injured thumb that he was prevailed upon to scratch the rest of the tournament and seek medical treatment. Hmm. Poor Tracy. 
There, there was no insuring his hand for a million dollars in those no, days. No, probably not. <laughs> anyway, the leader lauded his determination. It related, Van Slyke was game to the core. He lost five matches yesterday, but came back today and won five. The ordeal was severe, however, and it was so apparent to attorney officials and Mr. Walder that the boy was suffering great pain trying to play his games that he was prevailed upon to retire. Now, exactly how Tracy sprained his thumb at the pool was never explained really? in the press. But if, well, who knows, maybe a custodian stepped on it. You don't know. <laughs> Uh, but if readers think the Marbles Championship competition was a lark, it wasn't. The leader quoted the leader quoted Mr. Walder as explaining what contestants had to do. Tracy was to meet the champions from Philadelphia, Scranton, Buffalo, Baltimore, and Akron. He was slated to play each boy three games daily for three days, for a total of 45 games. Now, even if Tracy had won the majority of those games, he would still then have to meet and defeat the champions from the other three districts uh, of America, which were also at Wildwood. Even then, he still wasn't grand champion. At some future time, he would have to beat all of the champions from the other districts across the country to become grand national champion. And no one was about to accomplish a feat like this with a sprained thumb. My guess not. And he probably wouldn't have won something like uh, today's Powerball uh, as a prize. Well, we're going to get into that. Uh, in fact, that was the next paragraph uh, about the whole thing. And I looked up. I looked this up. This tournament mm. still exists. Does it uh, really? Yes, it does. <laughs> it is still played at Wildwood, New Jersey, every mm. year. Uh, apparently, it's particularly big in the Midwest as far as the number of schools that are represented and the locations they come from. Uh, but here's the deal. Today's winners get college scholarships and various other perks. They really do. Sort of like Miss America. Well, yeah, but a little bit more quiet. Mm -hmm. I mean, let's face it, we, we don't even know this is happening. Right? Right, right. Anyway, one can't help but wonder what Tracy might have received if he had become grand national champion way mm -hmm. back in 41. Probably no such thing as a scholarship in those days. And maybe the most he could have hoped for was a Wheaties, uh, his picture <laughs> on a Wheaties box. Well, I don't know, Peter. I mean, they're taking them down there. They're, well, not whining and dining them, but they're feeding them and letting them go to the pool to hurt their thumbs and do other things <laughs> like that. Yeah. Well, anyway, if I'd known there was that much in marble shooting, I think I might have taken it more seriously. Now, you said that Mr. Van Slyke did pass away at a relatively young age, correct? He, yes. 19, in 1976. Did you ever see, talk to him or know anything about his later life? Or well, uh, I never knew him at all, but uh, I, I do know and sometimes play music with uh one of his sons, which you also, I suspect, know, which is Gary Van Slyke. Oh, is that a fact? Gary is one of his sons. Yeah, he's a well-known musician up in Fulton County. Yep. Right. And I called Gary and, you know, said, hey, I want to talk to you about marbles. Please call me back. And uh, he knew the general story. He'd heard it from his aunt, but he didn't know the details. So he's very happy that I discovered it, too. Really? Huh. I mean, uh, 
Do, do, what did Tracy do for a living? Do you know that? Or uh, yes, uh, he uh, he was on the, on the honor roll continually, but uh, didn't attend college. He was drafted in February of 1945 and served honorably in the uh, Army Medical Corps. He married in 1948. Uh, at the time of his death, he was employed as manager of Johnstown Feldman's Furniture Company. Oh. I wonder if he kept playing marbles. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he wanted to forget the whole thing. And Gary Van Slyke, his son, as far as you know, wasn't a marbles champion. No, no, but he's one heck of a musician, as you probably know. <laughs> That's true. And it also be bad for him to hurt his thumb, too. Oh, yes, it would. Yeah. All right, well, that's a... Heck of a story. You done with that story? Yes. Okay, well, let me just do a little break here, and then we'll be back with more with Peter Betts, who is a columnist, writes a history column for the Leader Herald newspaper in Gloversville. Just want to mention that our GoFundMe campaign continues. We hope you'll contribute. Our goal for this year, well, let me just put it this way. We're about halfway uh, to the goal right now, and the year is almost over, so we to encourage you to uh, contribute. You can do that by going to gofundme.com forward slash historians2018. If you'd rather uh, not uh, donate online using your credit card, you could instead uh, send me a check. Make the check out to Bob Cudmore. Send to Bob Cudmore, 125 Horseman Drive, Scotia, New York, 123 and thank you very much. We're talking with historian uh, Peter Betts. He writes a history column for the Leader Herald newspaper, uh, retired uh, from being the uh, Fulton County historian, also retired from Fulton Montgomery Community College, where he's a professor emeritus. He uh, told us about the uh, marble champion from uh, Fulton County, from 1941. Your next tale, Peter, as I understand it, you want to talk about happenings at the Fulton County Poorhouse. Yes, I do. This came about uh, because uh, the organization that uh, presently runs uh, the uh, what used to be the county infirmary up there called Centers Healthcare is... Uh, going to put up a historical marker, you know, to the old poorhouse, which was on the same location. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was asked if I would come up with some wording for such a marker. And I said, aha, there's a story in here, too. And, of course, one always needs to fill that column space, as you know. Yes. So uh, I I went to work on it. And uh, the first thing that came to my mind, I couldn't help recalling a person named Will Carlton, whom I'm sure you don't remember either. In the late 19th and early 20th century, Will Carlton was uh, probably as well known as Mark Twain or anybody else mm-hmm. as a American poet uh, of the James Whitcomb Riley tribe, uh, meaning he wrote lots of homey-type poems mm-hmm. that the mm-hmm. people loved. And... Uh, one of his most famous poems, if not most famous, was the old one called Over the Hill to the Poorhouse. Oh, yes, I've heard that title. Yeah. 
And uh, he actually wrote a sequel, believe it or not. It was immensely popular. He wrote a sequel called Back from the Poorhouse. But that wasn't nearly as big, of course. Anyway, uh, Carlton's totally forgotten today, but that came to my mind. Uh, So let me tell you a little bit about this. During uh, early 2002, uh, county historian, Fulton County historian Bill Loveday, was asked to prepare a report on the original Fulton County Poorhouse and later the Almshouse for our Supervisor's Health Services Committee. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was given a copy of this uh, by our town supervisor at the time. And uh, Mr. Loveday began by stating, the earliest phase dates back to the original buildings, which a report of the New York State Charities Aid Association states were built around 1798. Now, that immediately scratched my head because, well, Fulton County didn't come about until 1838. Mm -hmm. But I understood quickly what Bill was talking about. He was referring to the fact when Fulton and Montgomery counties were one Mm -hmm. and were known as Montgomery County. And he's perfectly correct as far as that goes. But in 1838, of course, our new Fulton County had to establish its own government including some sort of care for the poor and infirm. And it is not really clear uh, whether during the early years of our county's development our poor were still sent down to the old Montgomery County facility or not. But in our supervisor's annual reports on the condition and finances of the county poorhouse, uh, excerpted uh, in the January 28, 1896 Gloversville Leader, the paper observed <clears throat> the Fulton County Poorhouse is located about two miles north of Gloversville on a sterile farm containing 93 acres purchased by the supervisors on March 17, 1855. You, are you calling it a sterile farm? <clears throat> I'm not, but the uh, apparently what they meant by that was it didn't produce much. Okay. That's all I can think of. And anyhow, they, they purchased this. Uh, property for a poor house in 1855, which brings up the question, okay, what did they do between 1838 and 1855? And I strove mightily to try and discover an answer to that, but I did not succeed. Mm. Uh, However, again, referring to this 1898 uh, uh, little history of the earlier care of the poor, uh, it it, uh, confirms the date of 18, summer of 1855 for the building of a poorhouse. Mm-hmm. And it says, in 1857, Joseph B. Levitt, a well-known gentleman from the western part of the county, was officiating as the first county superintendent of the poor, i.e., they didn't have one before then. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Uh, and a local doctor from Gloversville, Dr. Samuel Maxwell, was contracted by the supervisors to visit monthly. Mm-hmm. So if you were at the poorhouse and you were going to be sick, you needed to do it near the date that the doctor was coming. Indeed. Now, these places were often referred to in the early days as poor farms, or if they were in the city, houses of industry. Because the idea was that if you were being cared for in one of these places, you were still supposed to do some sort of work if you could. Mm-hmm. If you were in the country, you were supposed to work on the farm. If you were in the city, they'd probably get them on some sort of assembly line trying to make something. But the taxpayers felt better about it when they thought the people they were supporting Mm -hmm. were actually doing some sort of work. 
Now, in 1875, an, an interesting scandal occurred. An inventory of the poorhouse revealed a large number of stoves, blankets, bedsheets, kitchen and farm tools had disappeared, uh, being sold for personal profit by the retiring superintendent. Oh, dear. If he had not retired, they would not have done an inventory, so he really more or less asked for trouble when he retired. The January 13th Saratogian reported, the method has been to purchase articles for use of the poor and then convert them. Some of these deficiencies, said the Johnstown Journal, are enormous, and it is wondered how they escaped detection so long. So they had themselves a time right there. I guess they did. It kind of reminds me of the news stories you get now, people taking money from veterans groups or the Little League and so right. on. Right. Decent poor house living conditions were never a priority. On April 10, 1890, the Secretary of the New York State Charities uh, Aid Association, who visited 18 county facilities, including Fulton counties, and described them all as, quote, a disgrace to civilization and humanity. Dilapidated, cheerless, poorly lit, the food these poor wretches are expected to eat is abominable. Mm. Despite the fact there is a farm attached to most, vegetables are seldom grown in sufficient variety to offer a good diet. In Montgomery County, paupers are still farm, farmed out to contractors. Two things are greatly needed in Fulton County's poorhouse, a sick room and bathrooms. And when is this report done? Or This was 1890. Okay. An even more scathing report of 1898 accused the supervisors of having, quote, ignored both written and personal appeals for a new suitable building made by the State Board of Charities. The Charities Board had had enough, and it wasn't a powerless organization. Historian Loveday reported, it directed the New York State Attorney General to take action to commence the replacement of the Fulton County Poorhouse if the Board of Supervisors refused to act. Backs against the wall, the 1899 supervisors voted to replace the poorhouse, mm. agreeing that further delay would only mean costly litigation by the state. Not that surprisingly, when bids were accepted, Supervisor John Dye, who was in charge of examining the bids for the whole thing, mm -hmm. and who was himself a mm -hmm. contractor, awarded himself the job. <laughs> yeah, how, funny how that works, you know? Yeah, right. Like it's never happened before. Uh, thus our 19th century poorhouse finally disappeared, replaced by three new solid, warm, sanitary brick buildings, plus kitchen, chapel, and heating plant. And it received the kinder, gentler name of Fulton County Almshouse. Almshouse? Yes. Huh until operations ceased on the 31st of December, 1961. Mm. And that's where you're going to put the plaque, or they did put the plaque? or They, they are apparently designing the plaque. I, I wrote this story some months ago when I was asked to do it, and I, questioned, I asked just recently if it had been done yet, and they said no, but they were working on it. Okay. We have about five minutes left, Peter, if you want to uh, dip into your quick... Bits articles. <laughs> okay, we can do that. 
Well, some are funny and some aren't, but uh, I'll give you a quick one here. The 1872 Gloversville Intelligencer reported the following. Mrs. Vetter, residing near Fonda, accidentally swallowed the contents of a plate that had four false teeth on it. (laughs) Dr. Cameron was called and found the teeth so far down in her throat it was impossible to get them out. Therefore, he was obliged to push them down. It is hoped that no serious results will follow. Now, there is no follow-up notice on this, Bob. Yeah. Uh, But it certainly would be interesting to know how things came out. That's true, or if they did. (laughs) Anyhow, that's one thing. That's one. Uh, uh, This isn't so amusing. It's rather chilling, actually. Okay. The February 26, 1914 Morning Herald related. Yesterday morning, woodchoppers of Bleecker, wading through snow on the tract known as the 50 Acres, heard shouts in the distance. Investigation proved the cries came from a man whose legs were entirely encased in ice, lying helpless in the snow, and identified as Charles Poifair. Poifair left here Monday, here being Gloversville, left here Monday to walk 10 miles to a camp on Woodworth Lake. He arrived at Mountain Lake before dark, and friends endeavored to dissuade him from continuing further. He was persistent, however, and started out. He soon lost his way in the deep snow. The temperature was 25 degrees below zero. Aye, aye, aye. He, he, you know, why would, why would he do that? But anyhow, he failed to find the trail and accidentally fell into a creek that was hidden by snow. Exposure was fast weakening him when found. He is now in Latour Hospital, where physicians are doing all in their power to avert the amputation of both legs. Unfortunately, a subsequent article reported that Poifair did lose both legs, nor could he sue the doctors for failure to save them, since he didn't have a leg to stand on. Oh, Peter. But... Um, they got him out of the, his legs were encased in ice. Of course, you probably don't know more than what you said, but I wonder how they got him out of the ice to begin with. Well, I suppose they just pulled him. (laughs) Or maybe they can melt it in some way. Yeah. I don't know. We'll never know. Well, Uh, well, we have two and a half minutes left now. We're getting closer to two minutes. Okay. Here's one. Short one. Uh, Another winter's tale, but this one from Christmas Day, 1935, when the St. Johnsville Enterprise reported, a man named Patrick Ryan from New York was arrested yesterday at Little Falls by Chief Long for vagrancy. Ryan admitted he has spent much of the last four years in various jails up and down New York State. Mm -hmm. Judge Donovan decided... Such a perfect record should not be spoiled. <laughs> so he played Santa Claus and gifted Ryan with 90 days. Okay. One more. Oh, one more? One quickie. All right, let's see. Here's one, political in nature. Very good. The November 21st, 1872 Gloversville Intelligencer made a prediction that is still unfulfilled 146 years later when it wrote... The abolition of the Electoral College will be advanced to the coming session of Congress, and it is highly expected that before another presidential election, 
the Constitution will be changed so that people will vote directly for the president. <laughs> and it hasn't happened yet. No. And what year did they uh, write that one? It was 1872, Bob. 1872. Well, Peter, we are uh, coming to a close on the Historian's Podcast. I thank you very much for joining us today. Glad to do it as always. Peter Betts writes a bi-weekly column every other week on Fulton County history for the Leader Herald newspaper in Gloversville. Peter was Fulton County historian for many years. He is a professor emeritus at Fulton Montgomery Community College. You have been listening to the Historian's Podcast. I'm Bob Cudworth.